Hello, and welcome to Pastor George's Bible Study. So, um, last time we were looking at, um, just continuing the theme, looking at um, what are the requirements, the divine requirements to be a laborer, to be a worker in, in the vineyard of the Lord. And last time, we're looking at Luke chapter 14. So that's where we will take our reference from. Luke 14. Um, we want to see what Jesus said about those who will follow him, those who will be his disciples. And I remember when we looked at it last week, Jesus now gave some illustrations to buttress his point about counting the costs. And also, he gave the illustration which with two, with some very interesting points that we too need to take note of so that we will um, embrace the understanding that Jesus wants us to understand. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 14, I'm just going to read the whole um, section. But we will now look at the illustration Jesus gave. Um, so Luke 14, from verse um, 25. I'll read it down to verse 33. Now, great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. List, after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish all who see him will begin to mock him. Um, verse 30. 30, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you that does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I'll stop there. You're welcome, Salido family. So we are looking at Luke chapter 14, the same scripture we used, we looked at last week. And we were looking at the illustration that Jesus gave about those who will follow him. 
the second illustration is what I want to also concentrate on now. Because if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that following Jesus has a cost. There are requirements for following him, for being his disciple. And Jesus was illustrating. He said, see, if you are going to build a house, you will first of all check. Do you have, do you have enough materials? Do you have enough money? Do you have enough manpower to finish building the house? And we said last week that following Jesus is not just something you do on a whim. You don't just do it casually. It's an active process. It is something you commit yourself to. Anybody who is going to build a house, it's not something, it it doesn't just wish that the house was built. He has to clear the land. He has to get builders. He has to get an architect to design the house. He has to do all that. Even when the house is, is built, he has to furnish it. He needs to get the plumbers. He needs to get the electricians. All that takes effort and commitment. And we said that following Jesus is also the same thing. There has to be commitment on our part to say, I am going to follow Jesus. Now, the second illustration he gave in verse 31 is what we want to focus on a bit. The second illustration, verse 31. The Bible says, let me just read it. Or what king going to make war against another does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. So, what's the Lord telling us? The Lord is saying very clearly here, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down and check Am I able to defeat? I have 10,000 men. Can I fight the enemy with 10,000? And I know the enemy has about 20,000. Now, the reason why I thought we should look at this is to give us an understanding into what God looks for in anybody who is going to anybody who is going to follow him now if you are if you are a king and you have 2000 soldiers and you are going to fight somebody who has 10000 soldiers the question now arises can i with 2,000, defeats somebody with 10,000. Do you notice now that the measure of your, or what you look at is not the number. For you to be able to defeat the enemy with the limited number you have, you realize that you don't, you are not considering the number as as a strength. You get what I'm saying? What you are looking at is 
how can I, how can this 2,000 on their own go ahead and defeat 10,000? And you see, the reason, like I said, the reason why we are looking at this is because this is the same picture that God is showing us of our own reality. Now, the Bible says, if you remember, the Bible says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many are on it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are on it. God is, first of all, not looking for numbers. God is the king. Supposing the Lord, our Savior, eh, the one that has recruited you to be in his army, in his verse 31. The question is, can God count you as one of the few soldiers who can go and defeat the enemy? That's the question. There is so much there's so much the enemy is doing now to stop me and you from following him. There's so much the enemy is doing in our generation to bring a lot of people under his dominion. There's so much the enemy is doing to ensure that a lot of people do not find Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Hmm? That's what the enemy is doing. A lot. And the enemy is relying on numbers. But you see, for our King, our Lord, look at what the Bible says. It says, God, in that verse 31, is already making war with the kingdom of darkness. God is already marshalling his forces to confront the enemy. Now, it's not as if he's sitting down, but look at what the Bible says there. This king sits down and considers, is he able with 10,000 to go and challenge him that comes against him with 20,000? Now, the question is, We've established a few things. For us in the kingdom of heaven, if we are going to be laborers, if we are going to be workers for the Lord, the first thing is the Lord is not one that looks at number. God looks at the quality of the soldier. Do you understand? It is what that soldier is made up of. Is the quality of the soldier that matters to God and not the number of soldiers. We are going to establish this principle from the word of God. The question the Holy Spirit is asking us now is what type of soldier are you? A soldier who is not committed to his master cannot go with his master to go and fight the battle. Because when he gets to the battlefront and the things become tough, what does he do? He will run away. So 
the first thing is we need to establish. Can I be part of the few in the Lord's army who can confront the many, 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 many um, opposition, spiritual oppositions we have in our generation? Can you be that faithful soldier in the Lord's army who has given up everything to be able to fight the enemy? You know, we, we, we gave an analogy last week. We talked about Gideon. Do you remember? We talked about Gideon. We said that Gideon gathered 32,000 soldiers. 32 gathered. Eh? And the Lord said, the 32,000 you gathered, there are too many. It was so interesting to me that God is not, first of all, looking at numbers. God is looking at the heart of the soldier. That's why you see, to be a qualified soldier in the Lord's army, look at the qualification. Anyone, Jesus had already made that distinction. If anyone will come with me that does not hate his father, his mother, his mother, brother, sister, Yes, his own life also cannot be my disciple. So those 32,000 that gathered to Gideon, they wanted to go and fight the Midianites and the Amalekites. The Lord said, there are too many. Why? 22 of those 22,000 out of the 32,000 were afraid for their lives. That was why there were too many. The Lord could not take people who love their life more than they love God to go and fight a battle. There was no way the Lord would take soldiers who were still earthly bound, who were still thinking about the earth and the activities they had to engage in. The Lord could not get soldiers, these soldiers, who were more interested in building their house, in, in buying their cars. You see, do you remember the scripture? Maybe we'll go there. And let me use this analogy. Any soldier, in, in, if you notice, soldiers, especially in this country, All their expenses are paid for. Or should I say, most of their expenses are paid for. You know, soldiers, when they enter, they don't pay to enter public transport. You know, so they don't. Soldiers don't have to pay if they enter the bus. They don't have to pay, as far as I understand, they don't have to pay if they enter the London underground. They have a pass. Soldiers have their, they have, a, the government provides their accommodation. They don't pay. And I think the education and the, the education of the children are looked is looked after by the government. 
Why is the government providing for the soldier? Is so that the soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. Now, I hope you know that a physical soldier who is in the infantry, he can be sent to war. And he knows that he could die in the place of battle. He knows that. He knows, but he does not care for his life because he has signed up to go and fight. And even if his fighting means he's going to die, it doesn't matter. He has signed up for it. He has, he has taken that understanding and is with that understanding, he's able to go and fight for his country. Now, let's try and extrapolate that into our spiritual warfare. As a Christian, as a Christian soldier, you too have signed up in the army of the Lord. Your, your whole allegiance should be with Jesus. Your whole commitment should be with Jesus. That was why Jesus was saying, if anyone loves or does not hate, now, we, we established it last time. When Jesus said hate, he didn't mean the hatred of the heart. Jesus was saying, if anybody will come after him, he must make secondary. He must put to the background his love for everything else except him. Any soldier who is going to be a soldier of the Lord, anybody who's going to commit himself to following Jesus, has to love Jesus wholeheartedly. There is no half-half. There is no way you can be an effective soldier of the Lord and your love is for something else and not wholly for your master. The same way, you don't see a soldier who fights for two countries. It's not possible. He's fighting for the United Kingdom. And that same soldier is fighting for France. How is that possible? It's not. He chooses one. And that's what God is calling us to. He wants me and you to be wholly committed to him. That's why the 22,000 that left, they were afraid. They knew that if I lose my life, I'm finished. Is it it? They, because of their fear, they couldn't go into battle. Have you, that's the same thing. Even now, a soldier who is scared of dying cannot go and fight. He's not a soldier. That is the truth. So if human soldiers have signed up and saying, I will go into the British army, and it, it means if I die, I die. I'm serving my country. They have signed up to death. Excuse me, I want to ask you a question. Human soldiers are signing up to fight for their country. Hmm? And they are ready to die for their country. Now, what about you, the Christian soldier? Are you ready to die for Christ? You see, Jesus said something. Look at it in verse 33. 
Yes, Salido family. Um, uh, uh, a verse was brought to mind. Yes, what you were explaining. Um, it's two Timothy two verse three and four. Oh, you have beat me to it. I was going to share that. <laughs> I was going to share that scripture. It's okay. Two Timothy. Let's go there. Two Timothy two. Yes, two Timothy two verse three. Is it? it? Let's let's go there. The Bible says, can somebody there read it for us? Come on, this one, this one. Hmm? Oh, three oh. and four. Second Timothy chapter two, verse three. Three and four. Yes. Mm, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Yes. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Yes. So do you notice there? That the call today, soldier of Christ, means you must not have any earthly attachment. The call to be a soldier of Christ, there must be nothing that you love far more than Jesus. The call to be a soldier of Christ means that you should be able to endure hardness and suffering so that you will not entangle yourself with the affairs of this life so that you may entangle yourself with sin and disobedience so that even if you don't have money, you have accepted that you don't have money and you will not be so desperate to go and do the wrong thing to get money because you are a soldier of Christ. Do you understand? So when the Bible is saying anybody who is going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ must endure hardship. And it happens. You are waiting on God to provide for you. And you know that you could be dishonest in your place of work eh, to get money. But you insist that you wait until God provides. Even if while you are waiting, you are suffering. But remember, you are, you are, you are waiting and enduring. You are enduring hardship. You are enduring lack. But because you are waiting on God to provide, you are able to endure that hardship. That is how to be a good soldier. You see, if you do not be a good, if you are not going to be a good soldier, there is no way. Look at look at Jesus. Even our master Jesus, who is our captain, even he had to endure had he had to endure hardship. You remember the devil tempted him in the wilderness. He was hungry. He was starving. There was no food. The devil said. Mr. Jesus, as you are the great man of God, the anointed man of God, you have anointing on your head now. Eh? You have great anointing. Look at stones. You can use your power to change those stones into bread. Do it. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, 
Jesus was not going to respond to the bidding of the enemy. Jesus was not going to use his anointing and his power for his own selfish interest. Even when those selfish interest is genuine. Jesus was genuinely hungry. He was hungry. He could turn the stones in front of him into bread. But Jesus was not going to use his personal, his anointing, the power of God on his life, for his own personal satisfaction. And he went hungry. Maybe we should look at it. The reason why we are looking at it is this. Look at Luke chapter 4. Or let me let me look at another version of that. Look at Luke uh, Matthew chapter four. The reason why I want us to look at it is very interesting. Matthew chapter four. He was hungry. In verse two, the Bible said, "And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights afterward, he was hungry." The tempter now came. He said, you are the son of God. Command these stones to become bread. Are you not hungry? And Jesus told him off. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I thought immediately that happened, bread would just appear. God would just send down bread from heaven. Because he has withstood the enemy. But that didn't happen. The devil kept on tempting him. And look at what happened in verse 11. After the temptation, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Eh? Look at how God provided for his servant strength from angels. Jesus did not fall for the enemy's um, um, temptation. Change the stones into bread. You are the son of God. Use your power. Hmm? And you see it. Are you not seeing it? At times you switch on some of these channels. eh? And you see men of God. They are using their power to get money from people. Oh, they will just tell you, I want to make you a millionaire today. Come and sow a seed of 10,000 pounds. Hallelujah. Come, let me pray for you. As I lay, you know, some of them on TV, they will say, stretch forth your hand onto the screen now. Those of you that want to be millionaires, stretch forth your hand now, now. Let me pray for you. And as I pray for you now, hallelujah. I tell you, your bank account will, will, will expand. Some of you that want to go on that 6,000 pound holiday, hallelujah, I tell you, you will go for it now. Eh? <laughs> Just so into my ministry. The, my account details is on the screen. My account details is on the screen. I am expecting 2,000 pounds from all of you. 2,000. I've been ministering here and I, you know, I just feel the blessing of God 
will come if you just sold 2,000. So those of you on the platform, my account number is on the screen. Yes, you need to pay, sow the seed. And as you sow the seed, this time tomorrow, the blessing of God will come upon you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do you see how people use the anointing of God to get bread? Do you see? Jesus was not going to fall for that. And the Bible said, after the temptation, what happened? Jesus endured hardness. He was hungry. And angels came and ministered to him. Angels came and strengthened him. Do you see what God does? God strengthens anybody who overcomes temptation. God himself strengthens them. But you see, you need to be hard. You need to endure hardness first. If at every if at every hard situation, if at every difficult situation you compromise, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a, a committed soldier. And you will see through scriptures. That is the quality of men God is looking for. Soldiers who are not thinking of their coming first. Who they are not thinking of their hunger first. They are not thinking of their personal comfort first. They just want to serve God. That's why they, they can't, they don't entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. They are just committed to following Jesus. That's the type of soldiers that we go and confront the enemy. Though they, though they may be few, but they will, they will destroy the works of the devil. Why? Because they are committed soldiers who have endured hardness. Look at the 300 that went and that God used to finish the Amalekites. Those were committed soldiers. They were not scared for their lives. They were ready to go and die. Even when the number was reducing, you know, they all gathered 32. From 32, it reduced to what? 10,000. <laughs> and then God said, the 10,000 is too much. If you were the commander in that army, will you not shout? Will you not say, ah, but God, you've reduced it from 32 to, to 10,000. And you are saying 10,000 is too small, is too much for you. And God said he was going to test them. And what did God do? God used the appetite. They are longing for water to test them. Soldiers who cannot endure hardness cannot follow Jesus. And by the time he tested them, 300 were left. And the 300 were not afraid. The 300 did not bother whether they died or not. The 300 didn't, didn't think that maybe we could, even if we lose our life, no problem. We are doing it for God. That is what God is looking for. Now, let me, let me give you, let me give, show you from scriptures this type of quality in men who followed God. Now, let's take an example of somebody like Paul. Go to Acts. The book of Acts chapter 20. 
Let's see what Paul said. And we are just going to read what he said, just to encourage our hearts that anybody who is going to be a committed soldier of Christ will, will not be afraid of dying. Look at what he said in Acts chapter 20. Can somebody read from verse 22 down to verse 24? Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24 says, And now, you see, I am going to Jerusalem, bound by the Holy Spirit, and obligated and compelled by the convictions of my own spirit, not knowing what will befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit clearly and empathetically affirms to me, in city after city, that imprisonment and suffering awaits me. But none of these things move me. Neither do I esteem my life dear to myself, if only I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have obtained from which has entrusted to me by the Lord Jesus, faithfully to attest to the good news, the gospel of God's grace, his unmerited favour, spiritual blessing, and mercy. Do you see? Paul said in verse 22, let me read it from New King James. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, saying that chains and tribulations are with me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Do you see? This is how a true soldier of Jesus speaks. Look at what Paul said there. God, he was going to go to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit told him, the Jerusalem you are going, there's going to be hardship, there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be suffering in every city. Is waiting for you. That's what the Holy Spirit said. He said, chains and tribulation await me. Suffering awaits me. But look at what he said. But none of these things move me. Excuse me. If it was you, how can suffering not move you? Because how can hardship not move you? But Paul, is a good soldier of Jesus said, this is the movie. Nor do I count my life dear to me. Do you see a man who now hates his own life? Do you see a man who loves Jesus more than his own life? That's why he said, I don't count my life dear to me. My life is not precious to me. Paul was indirectly saying, see you guys, I have actually died to death. I am not afraid of death. This is my life. It is not precious to me because a life that is not spent 
for God is not precious. A life that is not committed to Jesus and serving Jesus wholeheartedly is not a life that is precious. You, you get it. Paul was saying, this is my life you see. It is useless if it does not serve Jesus. That's what he was indirectly saying. So he said, I count, I do not count my life dear to me myself, to myself. And I like the way King James put it. He said, I do not count my life dear to myself so that I can finish my race with joy. Do you see? I don't, I don't know if you understand. If you count your life so dear to yourself, is showing me that you might not finish your race. This race that you want to use to enter heaven, if you count your life so dear to yourself, that you cannot endure hardship, you won't finish your race. If you count your life so dear to yourself, look at what the Bible is saying. Look at what Paul said. I do not count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify. No wonder Paul was so bold. He didn't care. He didn't care whether they were going to slap him or not. What did he do? He would preach the gospel. Do you know it happens? God is nudging your heart and saying, why don't you talk to this person? But you are scared that the person will look down on you somehow. What's God trying to say? What's, what's the Holy Spirit trying to teach us here? If we are going to testify of the gospel of the grace of God, we cannot count our lives dear to ourselves. The Bible is saying here, if I'm going to finish my race, then I must not count my life dear to myself. I must be ready to say, Lord, my life is for you. I must be ready to say, Lord, my life is only worth living if I'm living it for you. That was why Paul said, I'm not scared. My only interest is to serve God with this life. I might as well die if I'm not serving God with this life. So, beloved brethren, can we be challenged in our hearts and wholeheartedly say, commit like Paul and say, Lord, help me. Let me not hold this life of mine dear to myself so that I can serve you. No wonder Paul, one man, did so much for God. Do you see how God used one man to, to, to damage the kingdom of darkness? One man. Do you see how God uses his soldiers? God is not interested in numbers. If you go back to that Luke chapter 14 that we read, 
You know, Jesus was saying all this when he saw a multitude. The Bible said great multitudes went with him. Jesus saw thousands of people following him. And because Jesus is not moved by numbers, he wanted genuine Christians. He wanted people who were wholly committed to him. Eh? You know, like, like, um, like what I normally say at times, God is not looking for ice cream Christians. Pizza and, um, and um, icing cake Christian. <laughs> God is not looking for people who are not deep with him. God is looking for solid Christians who are wholeheartedly committed and saying, Lord, if, even if it means I will die, let me die for you. Thank you very much. You have flashed this scripture in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, which is so correct. This is the type of quality of soldiers God is looking for. Look at what Paul said. Let's, let's read it together. In Philippians 1. Eh? Can you read it for us? Um, maybe we'll read it first of all from NIV. And then we'll read it from Amplified. Can somebody read for us any of the other translations first? And then we'll read Amplified. Philippians 1. Twenty-one. Read it from a translation. Then um, Jethro, you can take it from Amplified. Uh, Philippians one twenty-one says, "For me to live is Christ; his life in me, and to die is gain. The gain of the glory of eternity." Yes. So to live. Is Christ. So the reason why you are living is so that Christ can live through you. And anybody who lives like that, when he dies, is a great gain. When he dies, because he's living that life for God, even when that life dies physically. He has gained, he has, he has had a great gain. Now, can we read that scripture in the opposite direction? Uh, George, can I read in the good news? Yes, um, read in the good news. Actually, it says here, For what is life? To me, it is Christ. Death then will bring more. Okay. Death will bring more. Now, can somebody read that scripture in the reverse for me? In the reverse. You know what I mean by in the reverse? So if you read it and say something like, for me, to live is for me. Eh? 
And to die is what? A great loss. If you are living for me, if you are living for yourself, eh? you are actually dying. <laughs> Let, let's, let's bring the opposite to it. To live for yourself is death. Eh? And then to now die is what? Loss. A great loss. A great loss. It's not good to live a life and actually that life is just full of death. Then when you now die physically, it's now a great loss. May, may God help us to truly live for Christ. That you understand that your life now is just Christ. Everything you are doing is for him. Everything. Don't think as a student. Sitting for exams is not for Christ. It's not for yourself. You see, I pray you understand that you are not doing it for yourself. I know we have been programmed in our brain that when you are sitting down for an exam, you are doing it for yourself. That's the way the world has presented it to you. But for you, as a Christian, you sitting down for that exam, you are doing it for who, please? For Christ. That's why, because you are doing it for Christ, you can go and tell Christ and say, Christ, Lord Jesus, help me. As I am sitting for this exam, I am not going to sit. The glory is not going to do it for me. My passing is not for myself. Is so that you can be glorified. Lord, I am doing this for, it's for you. So come and take control. Every excellence that comes out of it is for you. Every accolade I get from it is for you. Because I am not doing it for myself. You are telling God, you are saying, this is not for me. Every form of pride, if people come to congratulate you, and they say, Jethro, wonderful, that's good. You have six, um, four A stars or whatever. You are saying, Lord, remember, it's not for me. I thank you, Lord Jesus, it's for you. Oh, you got A star in further months. That's very good. As they are shaking you, you are saying, Lord, thank you. Remember, it's for you. You are going to do engineering. You are going to do whatever course you are going to do. You know that because you are living, to live is what? Christ. Can we, can we make it very practical? To go to school is Christ. Eh? To read that course, architecture, is Christ. Hmm? To go to work is Christ. To be a doctor in that hospital is Christ. Whatever you are doing is Christ. Your living is Christ. That is why when you, if you now die, you have is a great day. But supposing you are living, everything you are doing is for you, for yourself. I tell you, when you die, it's going to be a great loss. I don't want heaven to say we lost him. You know, it's, it's not good 
heaven is, God is saying, ah, we lost him. God is talking about you and he's saying, we lost her. When that happens, that person has lived for himself. But when you are living for Jesus, eh? when you die, what, what is God saying? Well done, come. You're welcome. That's why the Bible says, precious in his sight are the death of his saints. When his saints die, they are welcome home. God is saying, congratulations. Well done. Come and rest. God is happy to have you with him forever and ever and ever. Is that not a great game? So, we are going to pray. As we round up, Lord, in mercy, help me to live in this understanding and consciousness that everything I am doing is for you and it's meant to carry your glory and for your image and for your, and for your interests. Nothing of me should be seen. If I am going to finish my race, I must not hold my, my life dear to myself. I must just be interested in the glory of Jesus and how I can push his agenda. That's all that concerns me. So we are going to pray that the Lord will help us live and walk in this understanding. I'll stop here. Come and join Pastor George's Bible study at 8 p.m. 